0: Welcome to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruark, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel.
1: Hello. Hey, guys.
0: I'm joined today by Greg. How do? Axel. Good afternoon. There's DW. Greetings. I see Samaria with us.
2: Roll Tide.
0: And there's Siobhan.
2: Hello, everybody.
0: And, uh, today we're going to go into, uh, some of the bonus content that Amazon gave us with, with, uh, all of, with this season. Uh, we've got the last two origins episodes, five and six. Uh, those are the animated episodes that they were releasing with alongside, uh, the main episodes for a while there. We did the first four in a bonus episode, but we're going to cover the, the last two here. And then we're going to cover all of the other little bonus content that Amazon threw in. They, uh, they did a lot of fun stuff, little uh, five minute, little behind the scenes kind of things, and 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 we'll, we're just going to discuss some of the fun stuff that we found in there. So, just to get underway, uh, our first episode was uh, Origins, Episode Five, The White Tower. Um, I'm not going to go into everything that she said in that episode because, honestly, we covered most of that in in the season. Um, she she covered uh, the the formation of the White Tower. She covered the 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 different Ajas and what they do and and that was really about it. Um was there anything in there that you that that you you all saw
3: yeah i will I will say that I enjoyed seeing a little bit more information on the Aja we have not seen represented really. So the gray, the brown, and the white. And it actually took me a little while to kind of figure out which one, because the costumes for the brown had white in the brown and could have been considered gray. So that first (laughs) one that flashed by, I'm
0: like, which one
3: is that? And so I started researching a little bit, but carefully to not get spoilers. It's always dangerous to do research.
0: Yes, very, (laughs) very dangerous.
4: Yeah, I I haven't Googled anything about this show (laughs) at all.
5: Oh, yeah, me neither. Which is weird for me. I was actually going back trying to find um your description of the different Aja, because the way the um woman in the scene described them she called blue seekers of justice which I thought was an interesting take on and I noticed that too um
0: so in the books they always say that blues their their whole motivation is causes they they go for Towards causes and towards uh, just issues. Um, so, you know, they're, they're the social justice warriors. They're is, is basically what they are. But they're also really good spies at the same time.
3: Oh, the two other things I noticed from this, and I feel ridiculous that I didn't pick up on one of them, but we've just referred to the rings. And it wasn't until both through this and there was one of the other uh, sections where it was like pictures and little descriptions. I didn't pick up that the rings were serpents.
0: Yes,
2: Me this was brand new I information. I never
3: picked up on that, mm-hmm. and so it was really kind of cool. Like, oh, they incorporated that. I was thinking there was something holding the the gem in, yeah, but I didn't know it was a serpent.
0: So. Um, Um, an interesting little bit of lore about that from the books in the books, the rings are actually just a serpent. It is just an Ouroboros ring, just a a serpent biting its own tail on, on their finger. And it doesn't stand out in a big gaudy way. Like the rings in the series do. Um, that was actually a kind of a bone of contention with some of the, the book readers at first, when they first saw those rings, they were like, Oh my God, that's ugly. But it's understandable that, a, a a small little gold ring on your finger is does not stand out nearly as much on screen as a big gaudy piece that they built, which st- you know, makes them marked out as Sedai much more clearly for for the visual audience. So I I don't see a problem with it myself.
5: And, and it also means you can have the the significance of having a ring without a stone in it
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah. it adds a whole le- new level of, of the lore in that way yeah I like that right when you become accepted you get the
4: you get the stone you know you or actually is it the other way around is it novice and then accepted and then
0: uh yeah you start as a novice uh when you become accepted is when you get the ring, ring and,
4: and you get the stone when you wear the shawl
0: yes uh gotcha. in in the books when they they get the ring when they become a novice and then they get the shawl when they they become Aes Sedai. um In the books, they're obviously not doing the shawls and just giving them the stone when they become Aes so yeah. They're still referring to the shawl. Yes, correct.
3: On a more silly side, when I first saw those rings because of their size, I was reminded of Dark Helmet from Spaceballs. (laughs) Because it is a little bit on the larger size ring, and so I had a little bit of moment. It didn't feel as ridiculous as I watched it, but it did give me that momentary flashback. (laughs) Um, Quick question. Uh, How do you tell – so we can tell the ajas by their color. And normally when you use color in some story like this, when before they've chosen a color, you would use gray or white. And both of those are ajas. What color do novices wear?
0: Uh, So novices actually wear uh, pure white, just a, a pure white, just kind of basic sackcloth robe, as it were. Um, and then when they become accepted, it's, it's more of a nicer white dress, but it's got a rainbow band around, um, the, the hems,
1: uh,
0: to, to, to stand for all the different Aja's that they may choose. Interesting. Yeah.
5: There, there yeah, were some um, women in the procession when they were pulling Legane through the city that, um, like the women who were playing the drums, who were wearing this kind of, it looked like undyed cotton. It
0: was kind of like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Pale yeah. That, and, and, and yeah, the, in that procession, you can see both novices and accepted. Um, I didn't point it out at the time because that would have just been, you know, way too deep, way too much information, way too fast at that point in the show. So, you know, that, that that's some of the stuff that we're going to get into in, in the deeper off season. Here's the differences between the books and the, the series and all that, you know, there is so much in every one of these episodes. I can't wait to, to, dig in on and talk about and point out the differences and like I can go on for hours. So yeah, it's a good, good thing. I have this podcast as an outlet.
2: <laughs> we're happy for you.
4: Yeah. We're happy for Madeline that she doesn't have to hear it all the time. <laughs> oh, she still <laughs> hears it all the
1: time.
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on to uh, the last origin story in Ogier's longing, um, this gave us a little bit more insight into the O gear um, and, and I just wanted to kind of open up the floor and see what what y'all picked up before I, I lay down some some of the lore as well.
2: Um, well, first of all, it made me cry. It was <laughs> unexpectedly like a very yeah. personal um, moment those three, four minutes watching the o Gear story. Um, I was fascinated about why, you know, the one power is inaccessible in their groves. I really wanted, Mm -hmm. you know, to to stop the guy and say, actually, can we focus on that for the next 10, 20 minutes? (laughs) Um, And also how, you know, shadow spawn don't go near it, which if they won't go near it, it makes sense that, you know, the one power also isn't like accessible there. But then you have the shadow city where you know, Shadow Spawn wouldn't go in it, but you could access the One Power. So, very interesting, you know, space. And I wonder if it's, like, something inherent to Ogiers, um, or is it inherent to something they can build? Um, or is it, you know, why why is that the case that, you know, One Power isn't, accessible where gears live in their groves. So I had I had many questions about this, but, you know, I, I loved it. So, you know, I watched and I was like, I don't think it'll be interesting. And the next thing you know, I'm crying. So,
0: yeah, <laughs> I, I, I may <laughs> have some answers for some of that. Uh, I want to see what everybody else picked up first.
4: Well, you, you brought up a really interesting point there, uh, Smari, about the, it d- does it come through in their building? Like, is there is- a way that they can build something that can, shield from the one power. Do Ogiers right? put
5: their steadings in places where the one power is inaccessible or is the one power inaccessible because the Ogier built your Yeah, built that.
0: Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'll, I'll answer that question for you right now. The, the steadings are an in inherent part of the planet, as it were. Um, it, it is not anything that the Ogiers do. The Ogiers seek the steading. Um, when the breaking happened, uh, many of the steading were lost because of the upheaval of the planet, and, and you know nobody quite knew what was where anymore. And uh, that's when the longing began because the ogre had were looking for the st- for steading to exist in, and they could not find them. Mm. And the longing started to take them, and and eventually they started dying. And now, because of that, modern ogre cannot stay away from a stetting for long periods of time without essentially just dying from the longing. Um, the longing was not a thing that existed before the breaking.
3: Okay, that raises a question for me that I got from watching it because there was that moment where they were talking about the longing and it's represented like it, it and how it can basically end in O'Gear's life. Mm-hmm. And they show the guy standing there looking over water. And I thought we were going to watch him jump in. So I, I guess too. that's part of what made me wonder mm-hmm. is, does it just, do they just fade from life or do they kill themselves because of the long, like it,
0: it, it's not really a, they kill themselves. I think it's the, their life just kind of fades. Okay. It, uh, okay. You know, they, you, they never quite really say outright what it is. Um, I've always felt that it's just kind of like they fade until they, they, they end up being sickly and can't move and, and that kind of thing. That's how I've you. always read it. Totally understand then. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Any, any other questions surrounding the O year or any thoughts about that episode? There was that oh.
5: whole association with nature, which I thought was really interesting given <laughs> that, everyone else refers to them as the builders everyone knows them as people who build things yeah. masons but they feel that they're the creators of civilization yeah.
0: yeah yeah so Ogier are are obviously very in tune with nature um you know they they revere and worship trees um, and one of the things they can do that they explain to that that little mini-sode is they can create what's called sung wood, where they actually sing to the trees and the trees create a wooden object for them.
2: Oh, that was so, literal. You know, that was awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's
0: beautiful. Yeah. So that's what was, was happening awesome. there when they were singing at the tree and and the little boat toy came out of I the tree. I thought it was a they were metaphor. No that that was ac- <laughs> that was not how I had envisioned it in my head but that is what that that was literal that was what I, was going on
3: I wrote in my notes that is and delightful Samari, I thought of you when I saw this I wrote in my notes tree bending
0: yeah 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 <laughs> and- it, it, that's exactly what it is is tree bending um, a little and bit of water a little so- bit of earth. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, this is really what the Ogier would rather do is tend to the groves and create some wood and things like that. But during the breaking and, and the time that they were away from the groves and things like that, they they learned that they were very good at working with stone, probably because they're so patient and became very good at working with stone. And now it's just it, it's kind of a thing they do in order to earn money to get trade goods but it's not the thing, and it's the thing they're known more but known for by humans, but not the thing that they wish to be known for. If that makes sense, I thought
3: that was a beautiful aspect to their character because there are a lot of creatives who what they do isn't and and are known for isn't necessarily the thing they love doing. They just yeah. have gotten popularity or or success from doing that thing, and there's that other thing that they just love doing. And seeing that in a character of kind of a in a species of characters was really interesting.
0: Um, a, a little bit more about O'Gear that they didn't really cover in that um, O'Gear are very, very long lived. Uh, we're talking like four or five hundred years, you know, like like they're they're very similar to Wookiees in many ways. And that's one of them. Um, and because of that, an O'Gear under the age of 100 is still considered uh, kind of a juvenile, uh, somebody who should not be. Out in the world on their own, kind of thing. And I would like to point out that uh, our best friend Loyal is 80 years of age, uh, 80 he's or 90, something like that. Yeah.
2: someone's wayward so, child. So,
0: so so Loyal should really not be out in the world on his own. Kind Explain the way so impulsive. Yeah. Oh. So, uh,
1: well, that, that,
4: impulsive that, for no gear is still kind of, you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's still still kind well, of it, right? <laughs> yeah.
5: He took so, up a bunch of strangers and started, you know, <laughs> adventures. <laughs> He's going he out, way to the circus. He's going to miss his I liked the.
0: I liked the way they addressed that without ade- addressing it directly in that little uh, animated short because they were talking about how some O'Gear are just like, yeah, I have to live in the steading, but man, I want to go see the world, you know?
4: Yeah, kind of a rumspringer and, kind of thing. You know, yeah, to, yeah. To go with so, a twathom.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, early next season we'll probably find out about loyal and, and not quite being uh, f- you know, loyal. I would say is is s- in O gear terms is slightly younger than than our main characters.
1: So you know, yeah,
0: you know, loyal think- loyal's like sixteen to eighteen compared to their twenty.
1: Well, I
3: think mm-hmm. it adds to the naivete he already kind of expresses in the world. So him being young to the world for an O gear, yeah. is an interesting aspect to do.
5: So I have a question. Are there any other non-human races in the story?
0: Um, we haven't met yet? There uh there is another non-human race. Uh um I they they existed in the Age of Legends. They no longer exist. There was one in the Eye of the World, uh, the book, but it did not show up in the show and i'm not sure if they're going to try to bring him in later or not um so i'm going to not talk much more about them until i'm sure that they that they, they've just kind of written that part of the story out fair enough um but yes there 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 is at least one other non-human sentient species
5: that may okay. or may not be extinct
0: yes or relevant to the TV or re- show. or relevant to the tv yeah. show yeah exactly um and then uh yeah I think uh that that pretty much covers that that episode let's okay, one uh one last thing oh that I oh yeah send
3: yeah. a quick compliment to the artists for the dissolve from the ship tower mm-hmm. ship masts to the trees we yes. beautifully done oh yeah
4: the art direction on the all of those oh. was just yep. great the sort of rotoscope digital capture oil painting filter it just just is gorgeous go check it out Pete
0: yeah, these animated episodes were absolutely just beautiful. I'll, I'll agree with that. And and on that note, I think we want to say, um, Amazon, you listened to us um, in in our review of the first four episodes of these. We we kind of took you to task a little bit, and we we talked about the fact that they weren't available everywhere, and they had no no uh, um, subtitles, and and they were kind of difficult to find. And and you fixed all that there are subtitles yes. they are available in HD. They're available pretty much everywhere that I've tried to access them. So thank you for listening. Um, yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. That, you know, I'm, um, I, I, I don't know that, that it was us saying anything that got to Amazon's ears, but I'm going to go ahead and take the win on that one. I, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, obviously I, it was all a podcast. Definitely that made yes, yes, because right. you yeah. said something. So, yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, so uh, uh, the rest of the fandom, you're welcome um we, we did that mute. Um, and yeah uh, so moving on to the bonus content this is all the uh, x-ray content that was included with each episode they did uh, just little 5 minute mini-sodes that did some behind the scenes looks at how th- how things were made and things like that um
3: that's x-ray content not x-rated content but.
0: yes <laughs> The x rayed content plus. is an entirely different show. We're not going to even get into that. Um,
3: you know there probably is one by now. You oh, know
0: that, there right? there will be, I'm sure, yeah. and I don't even want to think about it. So uh, our our first uh, uh, little group of, of X-ray content was uh, these little legacy sections where they talked about um, the three people – who really are important to making the show. And that is, of course, Robert Jordan, who wrote the books, uh, Brandon Sanderson, who finished the books, and uh, Rafe Judkins, who is now the person in charge of the show. Um, and this was three different little five-minute segments, and they were all really, really good. Uh, what did What did you guys pick up from uh, that first segment talking about Robert Jordan?
4: Well, it gave us a lot of the background information that we we didn't have. Uh, you know you had told us everything (laughs) that we knew we haven't done any any research at least i haven't so uh this was pretty much in line with what you had told us and uh it really showed that this was a guy who decided to create his own world and did a damn fine job of it and everything that went into it also
0: yeah um one thing that i i love from there is uh um, his 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 wife Harriet McDougall, was was talking about how Robert Jordan had initially planned this as a a veteran returning from the war story, and Tam was originally supposed to be the hero, um, which explains a lot of Tam's backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you can tell that he already had written that story before. Turning that into in, into just the backstory for one of the characters in the world, so um, I really liked that little little tidbit.
5: And then the story just completely got away from him and did something. Yeah,
0: <laughs> very <laughs> much. So. As, 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 as stories are so of wont to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and then we moved on to uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson, uh, who finished the books. Uh, did anybody pick up any for infer- any interesting information there? The fear.
4: The fear that guy had. You can easily (laughs) relate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can totally relate to him. It's like, I'm picking up this ball and uh, I better not screw it up. You know, it's like, I I could be blamed if. I turn it down and somebody else picks it up and screws it up. So he, he just took it all on himself. And, you know, kudos yeah. to him. That's that's a tough thing to do. And,
0: and he was a known author at the time, but he was not a, a hugely known author. He was not, you know, Robert Jordan levels if known. So that that was definitely his his time, at the, his shot at the big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, we move on. We had a, a third of those Legacy episodes about uh, Rafe Judkins, who is is our showrunner and and in rafe we trust uh i i i think <laughs> he's i think he's the right guy for the job I think he's been doing great uh did you guys pick up anything from this this little behind the scenes with him
4: yeah you you can tell that he's really got the love for the material and that's what's driving him more than anything else he's not in enough to make history to make money he wants to tell the story and that's what something like this needs is a storyteller yeah Siobhan, you had something to say.
5: Oh, I was, I was just going to say pretty much exactly the same thing. I watched all three of those episodes in series, and it was very obvious how much of a labor of love this is for everybody involved. Like his wife specifically reached out to people who were huge fans and who wanted yeah. to create the best possible work they could out of it.
4: Yeah, it's all about the love of the story. I mean, that's what it comes down to more than anything else. Yeah, our, very, oh, I hope, go ahead.
3: I, I have a quick question for you. Um huh. was Rafe a known name in the community of fans in other words were, were you were you or other fans hoping for a specific showrunner for this show and was Rafe on the list?
0: Um I I can't say that I was hoping for a specific showrunner other than myself. Um <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough. Not that I was ever in the running, but you know, the perfect show is the one that I would have made. So, um but um, I don't know if any of the other fans had a, a, a specific showrunner in mind. Uh, he was not a known quantity other than his own work before in the in the fan community. Um, he you know, he kind of when they announced him, everybody was like, Oh, who's this? And then we looked into him and we were like, Oh, he's a fan. Okay, cool. That that's fine. Okay you know, he's a fan and he's done some nerdy stuff before. We're cool. You know, that, 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 that's all that we really want. Those are the criteria. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. right. (laughs) He had enough chops to do the job. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
4: Just nerdy enough.
0: Just nerdy enough. Um, and then we uh, we also had a, a little bonus episode about Winter Night and and everything that happened during Winter Night in in their behind the scenes <laughs> filming. And, and Siobhan, Siobhan is, is living Siobhan it. Yeah. Is yeah. 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 About this, right.
3: I, I, I think we all. But Siobhan needs the floor.
0: I think we all need to stand out of the way. And let Siobhan explode. This. Okay.
5: This this was so because it, it covered the entire Trollic bo- battle in uh, Two Rivers and just going into the prosthetics and the costuming. I, I was like riveted by the entire thing. I love the monsters. I loved the way they portrayed them. There was this this um the stilts were that they had on their feet were just so effective at making them look like animals. Um mm-hmm. the the who was it, the key fabricator was talking about, oh yeah, we have twenty-five or thirty of these people in these trollic costumes running around. It was Interesting, <laughs> which, yeah. by which you know he means that was an <laughs> insane amount of work. Yeah. But like the whole thing was just fantastic. I loved that video episode. I just, that was, that was outstanding, my favorite.
4: Yeah, it really showed the scale. Because, uh, like they said, we spent all this time building this village, and we're going to burn it down at the end of the first episode. Yeah. You know, they yeah.
3: really, really
4: win. Mean, you for get
3: it. one take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you
1: don't have to really <laughs> don't mess to it up again. So nobody.
6: Yeah, really stood um, out that they built I mean like that they built entire, like they built a village, they built a town, um, the the scale of this production it really kind of shows why they're only able to do eight episodes for a season because there is so much in each one Um, and you would
5: expect at least some of the buildings would have been just a facade right yeah every single one of them was a complete building
0: yeah yeah
5: I um you know my friends and I have
2: a conversation you know all the time about how practical effects have died out and you know for various reasons um, but so many studios and productions rely pretty much entirely on CGI these days. And for a show, especially a relatively unknown one outside of, you know, outside of fantasy circles, Um, to, you know, just go the distance and really lean into not only practical effects, but making sure those practical effects are the very best they can manage to be, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
2: I just like, that's incredible. You, You know, like for that alone, I probably would have watched it with or without, you know, the nudge simply just to see it like, Oh, it looks real. Yes, because it is, um, And, you know, let's
3: hope hope based on that, Samaria, that more studios take note and recognize how much better something looks if you take that time for that practical. Yes, it's
2: going to age fabulously. Like nobody watches Jurassic Park and say, oh, this looks old Because, because, you know, for, you know, a lot of for a lot of what in Jurassic Park that, you know, that those were those are real, or I guess they're puppets, Mm -hmm. but still, you know, there's a reason why Jurassic Park still looks really good. It still looks really good. It's because (laughs) it's not relying on, you know, nineties, you know, computers in technology. And so, you know, Wheel of Time is going to look excellent. And, you know, Mm -hmm. even, you know, five years from now when, you know, whatever tech they use is outdated because things, you know, happen at the speed of light these days.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I uh, just to get a little into the nuts and bolts. Um, the this first season of Wheel of Time uh, per episode had the same budget as the seventh season of of Game of Thrones. I want to say. Wow! So and that's per episode. Per episode, huh. yeah. We're 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 talking. Um, let's see. It was it's it's over a hundred and twenty something for certain for the entire production. So, you know, divide that out amongst eight episodes. That's a, that's a lot of money that they're putting into this show. That is yeah. a lot, a lot of money. And it shows. Um, yeah. It's it it, it definitely shows. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, moving along, we've got, uh, our next little bonus episode, which was, uh, creating the look. This was uh, a little inf- info about the, uh, costuming and, Oh, man, there was a lot of cool stuff in here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
5: The whole melding of the cultures to make Mm -hmm. the different looks, I thought was just fantastic.
4: And the work of the craftsmen was just spectacular.
0: Oh, the craftspeople that they've gotten involved in this show are amazing. Like, everything just looks so amazing. Yeah, just top-notch all the way around.
3: Well, I wonder, based on the environment they seem to be providing, how many like requested to be on this? Maybe that didn't even know Wheel of Time, but just heard that they were so open to people bringing what they could bring, and that gets yeah. you people who are like, "Wait, I get to play in that sandbox?" Yes, please. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and there was a. a scene in that episode that i paused on and stared at for a long time which was a a map of the world and that was color-coded and then a legend next to it that was saying what cultures they pulled from for each area of the map and and as a book reader i was just like digging into that oh there was so much fun to have to be had there so much fun Another Uh, it was
4: really cool it was really cool how they thought it out and how they they Placed these, not really sh- strictures, but these, you know, these analogs, these parallels to actual cultures, and yeah. tried to be really, you know, just really true to them. You know, the the design of the Tuathuan as a, you know, a tribe, a tribal people in Peru. You know, yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't think of something like that, and it's yeah, it just works.
2: I didn't feel like anything was appropriated, you know, like there's, there's a way it's very tricky, you know, like, oh, I'm going to take it. I'm going to borrow it for my fake fantasy show. Like everything was treated, you know, with care and things were integrated properly and, you know, whatever, you know, aspect of costuming and, you know, set design was taken or, you know, was borrowed from a specific culture you know the the costuming and the set design reflected that in a way that really you know it was it was respectful
4: mm-hmm. it honored the cultures instead of stealing from them
0: it did yeah. and and, and it did. that was something i was i was really concerned about uh when the show was first announced because i knew that in the books, he had borrowed from so many different real life cultures that 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 are still with us now, and I was like, "How are they going to be able to do this in the show without looking like they're being very appropriative?" and and I think they've done it. They've they've been honoring so many different cultures and and melding them together in and in, in a non appropriative way. And yeah, everything you were saying, Samaria, it, it, it's just brilliant.
4: And I think it's, one of the ways that they do that is they don't. You know, just put this type of clothing on one type of person with a certain background. It's yeah. the, you know the the cast is is diverse, and they put the clothing on everyone. So it's not like you know all the people of Asian uh, you know of Asian background are wearing these types of Asian inspired clothes. It's no, you've got. People from everywhere wearing everything. Yeah. You know, it's a Benetton world right there. You know, that's the... (laughs) (laughs) This is the the ultimate Benetton commercial.
3: The other thing I thought was beautiful is how much... uh, And I'm sure this is somewhat Robert Jordan and somewhat the people adapting the work but they seem to also put thought into, I'm using this culture not just because I think this culture is pretty, but this culture adapted the clothes this way because of their environment, because of what they dealt with, and now we found a, a, spe- a, a, a race within, or I, I guess a locality within uh, Wheel of Time, that they're dealing with those same types of influences, mm-hmm. so they would develop a similar type of look, a similar yeah. type of feel, and the pairing of that just helps make it feel so natural. They didn't just decide we want big shoulders because big shoulders are cool. It's like, no, 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 that had a reason within the culture why the big shoulders were important to that look and this is why and it's parallels this other culture that we know and so you can see that representation. It's really cool from both the people I do know about and can see that representation or the people I didn't know about and am learning through the representation. I think both are are fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
5: It, it sounds like they also were open to contributions from the actors because um, Daniel mm-hmm. Heddy talks about mm-hmm. being a, able to integrate uh, Korean aspects to mm-hmm. Lan's outfit. Because yeah. that is part of his background.
0: Yeah, and, and one thing I loved from that episode was uh, when Daniel Heddy was talking, he said that the first time they showed him the the lookbook for, for Lan, it was – Drawings of him, and it's because they had chosen him as their model stand-in for Land before they had even started the casting process. So, I, I I really always good news. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I got an in. Yeah, yeah. When you open the lookbook and, and the lookbook is you, it, it's pretty obvious that you probably are going to get the role.
3: I will say it has backfired. There are people I know who have been listed as the archetype they're looking for in a casting process, and then they didn't book it, and they're like. Wait, who's more me than me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So moving on, uh, we had uh, another pair of episodes about the music. And I think we all just need to uh, step aside because it looks like Avalanche Greg is going to be coming through here in just a second.
4: Mm, Okay, first of all. First of all, the 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 first one with going through the way that Tom uh, performed his his Gleeman song in uh, in in the tavern was just fantastic. The the from a technical aspect of taking him into a studio and recording it and producing it to within an inch of its life to get the perfection of it, and then having that in his ear while he performed live again. And be able to mix the two together—that is friggin' yeah. genius. I don't know why this hasn't
0: been done before. Or it, I, I, it, I think it has been done before because anytime you see somebody really doing a good job of that on on a show, that's probably what's going on. We just see the we just notice the times when they're not doing a good job, and it's just an obvious yeah. bad lip sync, and those yeah. are way too common, way way yeah. too common. <laughs>
4: And it's, it's really hard to record on set. So, that's partially why they do it and why you get so much lip sync and so much, you know, canned performance in live TV. Uh, you know, you're in a, you're on a soundstage,
3: but it's not a studio. So you, Yeah, you, exactly. You need to consider what the acoustics are going to be on the studio right. so that it sounds like the set or vice versa. You need to kind mm-hmm. of blend those two so that, that you can use both. And yeah. it sound not different as you switch between them.
4: Yeah, but but to have that that perfected performance in your ear as you're trying to match it, and of course it's going to be you know slightly different. Anytime you double vocals, there's going to be little changes in there. It's human nature. You, nobody can do the exact same take twice. So that that was just a really great way to do it. And I would love to hear the two mixed. I would love to hear yeah. those vocals doubled and see how he did because he did a fantastic oh. job. On oh, it. yeah.
0: I'd love to play around with the audio stems from that. That would be so much fun.
4: Yeah. And then, you know, we talked about doing it as Tom Waits, and we all caught that like instantly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you did a good job. It was right there. So that that was fantastic. And then when yeah. we get into the score, um, Lauren Balfick did a fantastic job with the score.
0: Uh- Oh my god! I have turned into such such a Lorne Balfe fan since since he was announced for Wheel of Time. Like <laughs> I, I I bought the soundtrack. I listened to it nonstop. There are so many songs on that soundtrack that I absolutely love. And and like not even as a like oh this is from the Wheel of Time. It's like no, mm-hmm. I, I I genuinely just love this song and would this have if it had nothing yeah. to do with the Wheel of Time. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah. And, you know, just they didn't really go into the, you know, a lot of the instrumentation of the actual just musical score. But the first thing, the first episode that jumped into my head was I hear electric guitar. You know, this is, yeah. this is not a sound that you hear on a lot of fantasy, you know, uh, uh, on a lot of fantasy soundtracks and scores. It's, it, it, it brings a sense of modern, you know, a modern yeah. sense to it, but it's it's very
0: textural and so well done. And and something I'm really loving about it is it's pulling from so many different cultures musically, the same way they're pulling from so many different cultures for for the the rest of the design. And you know, exactly. you get so many different types of rhythm and playing and 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 tonalities and and mm-hmm. instrumentation. instrumentation and yeah, it it just. I am so in love with everything that's going on there, including bringing in those modern elements, you know, like there's, there's a, a track. It, I don't remember the name of the song, but it, it's, you know, kind of the, the shadow spawn theme as it were. And on the album, like it just, it has this like very big buildup that I'm just like the, the DJ in me wants to like find a really killer break to throw at the end of that buildup, you know, it's, it's <laughs>
3: like <a> bass drop <laughs>
0: in. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and
3: and that's when all the Wheel of Time characters break out their glow sticks. It, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> well, when you have the one power, you don't need glow sticks. Oh, that's true. Yes, that's but true, the men but... are not
3: allowed to do that. They need glow sticks.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> because even for raving, if you tap in the one power, the Aes Sedai are coming for you.
4: Yeah. Yes, very much so. And then while they were going through and showing extra things, I saw Rhiannon Giddens and I squealed. Rhiannon Giddens, if you don't know her, she is absolutely fantastic. She's uh, one of the members, the original members of Carolina Chocolate Drops, which were this fantastic African-American folk band that were Americana band. that were just great using a lot of, you know, original instrumentation of things from, you know, from the 1800s and early 1900s. And the, the, you know, it's not blues, it's not folk. It is something entirely of its own, and they brought it back, which was tremendous. And she has been working with the group, uh, Our Native Daughters, who uh, they are all of African American and Native American uh, backgrounds, and they have really concentrated on sort of taking the the native music. American Native music, North American Native music, and blending it with contemporary music. And it's absolutely fantastic. There's a, a terrific documentary that I suggest everybody see. It's called Rumble, The Indians Who Rock the World, which follows them also. But a lot of uh, musicians of Native origin, uh, Link Ray is sort of the the main, why well, it's called Rumble. You know, he's got that mm-hmm. 50s, 60s instrumental that was just so big and so grand feeling, but it goes through like Redbone and Taj Mahal and all of these other artists, including our native daughters, and Rhiannon Giddings. She's she's she, she's really a big uh, a big focus of the of the of the movie. I really recommend it. It's really great.
0: Good to hear, and and Thank I'm you. glad I'm glad that you you uh, brought that up because uh, when I watched that episode, I did I was not aware of who these people were and then uh pre-show you said something about uh the Carolina chocolate chops uh, uh and 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 i was like oh yeah and a name i actually know mm-hmm. um and so yeah I'm, I'm I'm glad that there's there's you were there to give us so much more background with that um, um and and i'm gonna say right now we're we're Planning on doing at least one full episode, if not more, in the off season, just about the music. And uh, Jordan, Jordan, our our sound editor, is going to join us for at least one of those. Uh, So there's there's something to look forward to for everybody. Nice. Um, We're 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 going to dig in deep. Uh, Lauren Balfi has started releasing the. The old tongue lyrics for some of these songs, um, some of which I started trying to translate myself. Um, then, of course, he released the English version of the same lyrics, which I got mad about because I was having fun trying to translate them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't I, have I, to look first;
3: you can that's translate. True. and then I, I, I can. I can now say I was.
0: I, I was probably around fifty-five percent correct ish. A lot of these words are not in the old tongue dictionaries that I have, so I had to try to try to work with what was there. But yeah, yeah,
4: yeah there was an old design magazine in the '90s uh, called Raygun, which was really forefront of the, the grunge typography. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the the uh, art director had uh, there was an interview he did with Brian Ferry in one episode, and mm-hmm. it set the entire goddamn thing in zafting bats. <laughs> <laughs> And I spent hours translating this thing, so I got the entire interview down. And then, then I went through looking for us the, the magazine on the last page. There it is in you know in standard type. And I, I I met the uh, the designer at a uh, at, at a film festival. Uh, he was there for the movie Helvetica, which I've got the poster for back here. Yeah. Um, and I asked him about it. It's like, why did you do that? He's like, it sounded fun. Just like, did you know that I would? He's like, you did that? What the hell is wrong with you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and one more thing I want to say about the music section. Um, this is just my own nerdery standing out. I could not stop. Drooling over the mic selection that they were using to, <laughs> to record the vocalists. Um, I mean, there there was a Soyuz bomblet in there. There was uh, several different Neumanns in there. There was this. Oh my God, the stereo ribbon mic that was hanging there. Oh, you have no idea. Oh. No.
1: <laughs> anyway,
4: that, that that close up on that gold one uh, in the Nashville session. I, oh yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that was like,
0: ooh, that's pretty. I I think you're talking the Soyuz bomblet there, and yeah, Yeah. that thing. Oh, they're they're sexy. They are. I'm not as much of a mic nerd as you,
4: so yeah. But uh, yeah, and then Peter Cox from Go West. Who knew? Who knew? That was awesome. Didn't recognize him at all, but uh, (laughs) yeah, my little my little '80s '90s new wave heart went thump thump when I saw that.
0: It's beautiful. (laughs) Uh so moving on uh, our next little uh, um x-ray feature was crafting the weapons and props. Um and the only note I have from from that is beautiful. Just oh yeah. Oh my god, when you see the detail that they put into all of these props, it's it's unbelievable.
5: Fascinating. I mean, and and everyone beautiful. is slightly different.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all handmade
4: and you can you can definitely tell. The, the the hilts on the on the daggers, you know the mm. the handles of just it, it, it's all just incredible. There's so much more than you can see on screen, and it helps it helps uh, with the, with, it helps the cast immerse themselves into the world.
2: Well, you I think it helps as, us immerse. As they were printed, be. yeah, yeah, because yes. you know what? I didn't notice much, and that's a sign that it was really good. <laughs> When yeah, like it, I'm not taken out of my watching experience, saying "Oh, that looks fake." Oh, God, look at that! That looks horrible. Like I'm just watching it. I'm enjoying the story. I'm enjoying, you know. The, so, so the you're sets. saying when
0: they make sure there are no Starbucks cups sitting around the set, that it makes your enjoyment <laughs> that much more.
2: Oh my God! Okay. <laughs> yes, that, that is that is exactly what happened. You know, I didn't <laughs> go. Oh, Starbucks, oh. And at least someone was enjoying the Dunkin' today. A
3: corner somewhere. <laughs> I I actually love the idea that it seems the prop masters and everything really kind of had backstories in their own head, whether we ever hear them for each thing they made. Like there's a story to each thing. And that kind of attention to detail is what makes a world seem real, because if you walk through a room, everything in that room has some story to it. And it may not be important to the moment that you're in that room. That doesn't mean that it's just a generic cube in the corner. It's got to have age to it. It's got to have life to it. It's got to have history yeah. to it. And they gave that attention to everything they made. And the best shows do that.
0: Yep. And, and the thing is, Jordan did that in the books. You know, there there's not like I, I've gone on saying how much detail he put into everything in the books. But it wasn't just. Superful, superfluous detail for the sake of detail. Every detail that was there for a reason. And and yeah, the it, it was. Go ahead, D.W.
3: No, no, I, I have a question for you. Finish, finish this because my question. No, will come.
0: no, no, go ahead with your question. Let the, I want to hear this.
3: I I want to know without you answering the specific. Has there been a prop? that you saw and knew was the prop that's gonna be true in like three seasons from now that you could see that backstory in, did they seed any prop for the book readers so far in the story?
0: Um, you mean like something that's going to sh- be important or show up much, yeah, much later and, on? And to us, um, it would
3: just seem nominal because it so fits in the backstory, but you saw it and you were like, hey, it's that item. Like, is there any <laughs> anything like that so I,
0: far? I mean, there are a few props that, that are very important to the story but i think you guys all know exactly what those props are at this okay. point okay. um yeah i can't think of anything that's that's really kind of a oh that's gonna come in in season four and you guys just have no idea kind of thing i, I haven't seen really seen anything like that yet no okay um, but this, this brings to mind after, after watching these beautiful props being made, uh, I want to re-ask the, the question I asked at the end of last episode, which is if you could take any prop home from this show, what would it be now that you've actually seen the detail in some of those props?
3: I stand by my answer for the jacket. <laughs>
4: yes, yeah, same here. I stand by mine for, for the, uh, the, the, the uh, can't even remember guys name oh <laughs> episode eight the uh, the bird jacket the oh uh the lord egomar yes egomar that yeah. jacket is just gorgeous i wish they would have gone in a little more on that but looking at that i do have to say i need to add in that uh that bolero jacket the leather
0: bolero jacket of moraines oh i know isn't that thing amazing It was just gorgeous just incredible like, I want one of those just because looking at it makes me feel powerful. And, like, yeah. if I had those those things on my shoulder, I would just, like, walk into to Lowe's to pick up some two-by-fours and just be like, <laughs> you
3: will give me these two-by-fours. And watching yeah. it with my wife, that was the one thing she's like, I wouldn't mind that. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, but it's
4: got a, such a powerful thing. You know she was actually thinking, I will use this to take over everything. <laughs> <laughs> But she said it's so nice. It's like, no, this will be for my ends.
3: Well, that's that's <laughs> the lovely part of our marriage is the fact that I am tuned into that voice as well. Yes. I hear the voice she says out loud, and then I hear the underlying subtext.
4: Yeah, I've been married for 20 years also, so yeah. I understand.
0: <laughs> so, so Mario, was were there any props that you saw that you couldn't live without?
2: Props or costumes?
0: Either, Either or. or. Yeah.
2: I don't, okay. Yeah. Cause I don't think there's any one thing that I want, but I did, oh gosh, the Aes Sedai from the Age of Legends. What's her name? I forget.
0: Uh, Oh man. The one in white. I'm not pulling that name up. Yeah. I'm not pulling her name up right now either. That is okay. But her entire entire fit. Continue. Yeah.
2: Her entire fit, the the entire white ensemble. I was like, that is fantastic. Like, I just love Mm -hmm. how it. Like how it was cut, how it sat on her, how it flowed when she walked. I, yeah, I was like, I would throw some heels on that and, you know, work it. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I don't know. It's funny because it's not like traditionally my style. So like Mm -hmm. usually the clothes I wear are pretty form fitting, but that one, it just stood out. Like it's very simple. It's nothing fancy, but it's very bold. And like, even yeah. like, even in its simplicity. And I was like, that's, that's perfect. Where can I get, it? where can I buy that? Who can I commission <laughs> to make it for me?
4: The other little accessory that I noticed with that was the earrings that had the chain that came below the chin. So yeah. yes. they're, they're connected to each other. It's kind of like, you, you know, want to hang reading glasses off of them, but it was, it's an interesting look. I I, I dug that.
0: Um, and one other thing about uh, the the weapons and things that they were ca- they were showing here, um, I can tell you that the same company that that is making the official uh, replicas for both Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings will be making official replicas for Wheel of Time. So, Ooh. so those of us who are nerds who want sharp things, we will be able to get many sharp things. Nice Shogoth
3: dagger. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then uh, moving on, our next little uh, uh, mini-sode that we had was finding the cast. Um, what what uh, fun things did you guys see in this episode?
4: I loved how the producers didn't tell the actors basically which role they were they were going for. Uh, you know, the surprise yeah. <laughs> when they discovered it, it's like I, I, I'm one of the leads. Oh
1: shit!
0: Yeah, yeah, I I love that that same thing you know when when uh yosha found out that he was that he was playing rand and he's like wait, wait i was reading for rand holy crap you know
5: <laughs> but it, what i thought was really cute about that is that the actor who plays rand and the actress who plays Egwene were both oh my god i've got uh a, a, you know leading role and the actor who plays his is like i think my character's name is peter <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> and his roommate going nuts when he figured yeah. it out i, I yeah
0: that's so, awesome. uh, so a, little back, that... a little background on on that. Let me uh, uh, interrupt you there for a second, Axel. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when they were trying out for the roles, they were not told the name of the role they were trying out for. They were given code names. So, the code name given to people trying out for Perrin was Peter. Okay. So, that's where that came from okay so he, he remembered it
6: correctly what yeah, I was going to yeah. say is that watching these episodes it made it was really obvious that Rand was the lead character like the, yeah. watching that I was like if I watched that before this the end of the knowing he was the dragon yeah. I would have known he was the dragon
0: so I'm glad yeah. that we didn't which is why I, I, I suggested early on, uh, I didn't suggest this on air, but I suggested to you all early on not to watch that, that stuff until the end of the season, because I knew that there was stuff there that would lead you into spoilers. So. Yeah.
6: And that like it, it's not that it was done as a direct spoiler, it's just context. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. the way things are presented.
3: Well, and thank you for that suggestion, because I know several of us have mentioned the fact that when we dive into certain series, we do watch all of the content we can. And in this particular experience, based off your recommendation and other things, we kind of held back and and wanted to experience just the show as slow and as absorptive as it seems like the showrunner wanted us to. Mm
5: -hmm. I have not even been reading fan fiction and I want you to know how much of a sacrifice that has been. Yes, I'm I'm, oh, I'm the sacrifice. same way, Siobhan.
2: Like if I really love something, the first thing I do is go look for some fic. And I d haven't touched it. It's been it's been hard. Okay. I want you to understand yeah, the sacrifice. I've, okay. I,
0: I I have read some Wheel of Time fan fiction, and I can tell you don't go don't go there because you're gonna get so spoiled for so many things. Yeah. It's wait, wait till the series is done and then you can explore all of the world. There will be so much more for you to explore after the, after the season is done. So
3: 15 please. seasons from now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, right. so tell my future me no... child
2: can, can read it together. Yeah. Cause I guess that's how long <laughs> so, it'll take.
3: Please, please tell me
0: there's no slash fiction. I, I'm not going to make that promise because, because I know the how internet. the internet yeah. Li- is. Yeah. Uh, but I, I it. personally have not read any. Okay. I, I, so I will say I, I do not have any personal knowledge of any of that, but uh yeah. It's the internet be being the internet, it exists. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Um I mean that would be kind of like the Bella my little pony crossover stuff, right? Oh, yeah, exactly.
3: oh. oh. <laughs> that, that wheel is of bronies. Of, oh ponies.
1: boy. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody really wants Bella to have been the dragon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, uh, some things that I I found in there that I really enjoyed were um, the scene—Yosha uh, was telling a story about a scene, one of the first scenes in the show that they were shooting, and he was really nervous, and uh, um, um, Tam Althor, Stannis Baratheon, just just kind of, you know, they did the scene. He turns to him, and he's like, yeah, eh, no big deal, right? Easy peasy. And <laughs> and just kind of like put hit you know, could— he could tell that Yosho was all stressed out and scared about what was going on and just, you know, tried to put him in eddies immediately. And I I, I don't know, There's something about that story. I just loved it.
4: hmm Yeah, that that's a that's a veteran actor doing what he does, you know, taking somebody yeah. under their wing and showing them that it's like, hey, this is this is all there is to it. That, Trust that's in the your instincts.
3: Of- That's the beauty of good veteran actors who recognize that the scene requires both people. And so they want to help that person get to the same stage more than likely they had somebody who did it for them. And it's, it's always beautiful to see that pass forward. There are those veteran actors who feel that you should bring everything on your own and it's kind of rough to work with them. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. Well, we're not talking stars. We're talking character actors and they, you know, (laughs) that's what they do. They're there to, to lift the work. Not themselves.
0: Yeah. Some uh, stuff I found interesting in there uh, also was what Zoe was saying, um, how much she identifies with the character of Nynaeve and and how how much many of the the actors were saying they identify with their characters. Um, but I loved, I loved how she was saying that uh, um, she was reading the script, and she's like uh, identifies with Nynaeve so much. She's like, you could be saying that stuff a little quieter. Nobody needs to. Ask <laughs> that. That, that, that's the inside thoughts.
4: Yeah. Saying the quiet part out loud. Yeah.
5: I found it uh, really surreal watching um, Daniel Henney be so animated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) 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 He has like facial expressions
5: and body language. Like, what's going on?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And for a casting
3: director, that's one of the beautiful things. If you can find somebody who already somewhat embodies that character, then it's a, it's less of an acting journey for them. They can focus on the finer points. If you find somebody that already relates to so much, then they just have to tune into those few points that they need to change to be that character. And that's so much easier on everybody all around.
4: Yeah. I love, I love what uh, what Rafe had said about Egwene. It's like you, you, you you scrape her, you scratch her, and there's nothing but steel underneath, and yeah. it just keeps showing up. And she, the actress really embodies that; she really brings that to the screen. It's terrific.
0: Yeah, very much so. Um, and and the actors in that that little scene were talking about uh, how close that they all are to each other, which I love because the closeness of these characters to each other is is a main part of the story, and and how much they know and love each other is is so important to the story. So the fact that the cast all are embodying that off-screen, I love.
4: Yeah, it'll um, be interesting to see how the chemistry changes when the new Matt
0: comes along. Yeah, um, he's been shooting uh, all of the second season so far. They're they're well into the second season of shooting, and and have not heard any bad things from from production. So I'm going to say he's he's doing well. Um, I'm I'm guessing awesome. that. That series, that like you know, series
6: producers are going to be putting more attention into that kind of thing these days than in the past. Yeah. Especially when you when you if you're gearing up for ten years of production, you don't want act, you don't want actors that won't get along with each other. Yeah, um, yeah, very much so. You know, like, and also is this thing that uh, I remember the cast of The Good Place talking about a lot on on their podcast was that kind of actors who are nice people tend to get more roles because people like to work with them. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're, again, if you're a producer, you don't want to hire dicks because you have to deal with them. So why do that in this (laughs) day and age when there are so many actors out there, right? There is so much talent.
3: Keanu Reeves is one of my favorite examples of that. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean to say that he's a bad actor. He is not the best actor. However, Hell. he is yeah. fabulous to work with from everybody I've ever uh spoken with that just shared the the um the camera with him. He is kind, he is dutiful, he always knows his lines, like everybody really wants to work with
1: him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
3: I think he's gotten better in his acting from all the exposure he's gotten, but that exposure he got was because he was so kind.
6: Yeah, and, and, and I think it is entirely reasonable to say like in his the early part of his career, he was not a good actor. Like, in Bill and Ted, he played himself,
3: and right. that was fine. <laughs> that was the point <laughs> of the role, right? <laughs> who he played himself? I've never yeah. stopped playing only themselves. There are and a then, lot of actors out there. Yeah. And still- Then there was oh, Dracula.
0: Okay, so now yeah. I just and have that- to ask: um, um, who Who is Keanu Reeves going to be playing in in Wheel of Time?
3: You would know the characters that have been introduced. We don't.
0: Oh, <laughs> We can't hey, suddenly
3: look at that. name characters, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna be playing the Emperor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He'll
4: be playing Gleeman number three, who just plays bass. You know, yeah.
3: the I, dark one.
6: <laughs> no, no, the eleven. So actually, I guess a Dragon Reborn like Loghain, that would be your uh, Nicholas Cage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, because who's going to, which case, what character's that. got the
6: most, see, you know, who, who's going to, who's, what character has the most scenery to chew? Yeah. Right. I, I would put forward,
3: <laughs> I could see, especially like his John Wick type persona as some sort of warder.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That yeah. protective nature and still the fighting styles. He would be an amazing warder.
2: Does Lon have siblings? Yeah. There we go.
3: There we go. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that.
0: You heard it here first, everybody. We want to get Keanu Reeves as a uh, long, Lan's Lon, long lost brother. Say that five times fast. Lan's long, long, lost, long brother. lost brother. There we go.
3: This episode is brought to you by 4 Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number 4 and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some awesome art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like The Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4 Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number 4 and cats with a K. 4 Cats Boutique on Etsy.
0: If you're a fan of fantasy, be sure to check out Watch Party's Lord of the Rings podcast. Join Michael and Jen as they delve too greedily and too deep into Tolkien's legendarium in anticipation of Amazon's big-budget adaptation of The Lord of the Rings. They go deep into prior adaptations, like Peter Jackson's film trilogies and the 1977 animated adaptation of The Hobbit, and discuss leaks, lore, and potential plot lines for the upcoming show. Whether you're a diehard fan looking for serious analysis or a new fan looking to get up to speed, Watch Party Lord of the Rings is for you. Watch Party Lord of the Rings, part of the Watch Party Podcasting Network. And yeah, getting back to our our recap here, uh, our last uh, little things that we had were building the world um and they they talked about all of the things that they went into to build out this world that we're seeing and and uh what did you guys pick up here
4: just oh. so much and uh, the, again the the craftspeople just did an absolutely tremendous job, and bringing everything to life is going to require- you know with practical effects is going to require just you know, so much of everything. Yeah, and everybody from the you know from the writers to the you know the, the lore specialist that they that they have, and yeah, it's so much work, and it's all there on screen.
2: It's
5: really impressive. I was yeah. incredibly impressed by the blight. Yeah, like yeah, just the amount amazing. of detail, and then you see the actors climbing through these. These hanging yeah. fronds. And I would actually looked-
4: like to see. I would actually like to see what the uh, the actual island that they were planning on using,
0: what that looks yeah, like. Yeah, I, I would like to I see was about that. To say as the well. same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting story about that. The the blight that they actually used. Um, some pictures of that set leaked uh, during production. Um, but they were just like wide pictures of the set. So all you could see were, was like the exterior of it with all of those weird spidery looking things, but you had no, no sense of scale. So you looked at that and, and like, for some reason, something in that image gave me a scale and I was looking at those and I was like, Oh, those are about human height. And I'm like, so, so th- what is that? That's just the background for something. What is that? I, I don't get that. And then when I saw it in the actual show, it was like, Oh, my scale was way off. Yeah. That'd <laughs> yeah. You're huge. Yeah, it 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 was really well done. I I was really impressed by by how they did the blight there, um, especially considering that was their second choice and they had to you know scramble to put that together. Yeah, um, it did a tremendous job.
4: That 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 production designer is just great. I forget his name. Uh,
0: yeah, um, I I loved when he talked about. Um, I loved when he talked about uh, the the hex tiles in in the the ways. Cause when we were talking on that episode, I had said, yeah, it really felt like a, a kind of a dungeons and dragons map layout. And then, you know, for anybody out there who plays dungeons and dragons, yeah, you actually have little things with hex tiles that you lay out on the map and that's exactly what they did. And, and mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. But I've also it wasn't seen just those looking stones. like it. It was that.
3: But I've also seen those stones as they grow. Um, was it just off the coast of Northern Ireland?
0: Yeah, the, the they the giant scar Actually, right? form yeah. that
3: way, and, and so it's beautiful mm-hmm. and realistic, and and you could. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I remember seeing that in uh, uh, what was the Alien preview or our prequel?
3: Uh, Pr- Prometheus. Prometheus. Yes, that, Which that was I didn't know it was a prequel going in. <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: <laughs> I, I didn't catch that it was a prequel until the end of the movie, and I'm like, oh, this is a prequel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um so one thing I loved out of that that section was uh Rafe talking about how he didn't want green screens for everything he actually wanted physical sets for people to be on he wanted physical assets for them to interact with he you know he wanted the 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 cg to to accentuate what was there but he wanted most of it to actually be there and and I think it really pays off in the end
4: it does it does it's really immersive the the way that they the, the way that they handle it is fantastic.
3: Well, there's also well, a yeah, challenge acting. acting. There's a challenge to acting in a green screen environment. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to attend a panel um, that was spoken by the director of the second Star Wars movie, uh, episode five, um, uh, Irving Kirshner, who was talking about the fact that with the newer ones, they were using so much green screen that when he wanted somebody to be cold, he put them in snow. And then they didn't have to act cold and act their lines. They already were cold. You mm-hmm. want somebody to be hot? You put them in a desert, and then they're already hot. You don't need to. They have to. Don't have to act the environment as well if they're in the environment. The yeah. reaction uh, is already present. Yeah. And bl- being in a blank room with that green screen can be a challenge. And some of you know some of the best performances you've seen in front of green screen are exceptional performances by those actors because yeah. they're making everything that's not there seem real to them, but it's so much easier if you have it there.
4: Yeah. Not everybody's up to that challenge. I mean, you look at like Hayden Christensen versus Andy Serkis. I remember
6: uh, I I read an interview with Christopher Lee, where he talks about um, breaking down in tears during the filming of uh, the Hobbit because he was stuck in a green screen and it was just so stressful, uncomfortable, like, and like that's Christopher fucking Lee. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah like it, it, he was a
6: he. You know. He.
0: Yeah. This guy was killed uh, people for yeah, a living. This, this guy <laughs> was <know>? the <laughs> bassist for James Bond. and, yeah. and he, you're, you're you're breaking him down and making him cry. There there's a something there's wrong a happening
1: there. Here, yeah.
0: yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, I, and I think
6: like I, I kind of get the impression that again you know production teams have realized that there is a limit to how much you want to do in a green screen set just because you can do it doesn't mean it's sort of it doesn't mean it's a good idea
4: yeah right which is sort of george lucas's you know family crest i think
3: in the same way that we were talking earlier about how like items need history and stuff like that by putting somebody surrounded by those items that have history then all of the backstory that's around them doesn't need to come through in their performance yeah it's already there and they're already feeding off of it. They're already reacting to the dank look of the place or something instead of having yeah. to imagine mm-hmm. it in their head and it frees them up for so much, bo- excuse mm-hmm. me, it frees them up for so much more.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, There was another part in that, that little episode that really spoke to that, which was when the, the set designer was talking about putting together the the two rivers village and how they were moving the buildings around and trying to make sure that every building had a, Function and a purpose that made sense in the village, and and you know that level of detail. And then, like you were saying, the actors don't have to try to figure that out. It, it's just right. inherent to the set. Yeah,
4: and that, that was that was one of the other bits in there when uh, there, I, I believe, it went back to the winter night one where uh, the the actor who plays uh, Rand was saying that when the Trolloc burst in the door. That was the first time they saw a Trolloc in full makeup. Yeah. And it's like that, that look of fear and surprise in our eyes, that's real. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was, we didn't know what was coming through that door. And then this beast walks in. It's effective.
0: yeah. And, and I can tell you the first time I saw Trollocs on screen, I was terrified. Like, I, 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 I had put myself into the scene enough, you know, I was like, this is, I've wanted to live this for so long, I'm putting myself in this scene, and then the Trollocs showed up, and I was like, nope, I'm, I'm pulling myself back out. <laughs> was like, That's a little too scary. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, continuing on, we have a few more, uh, bonus features. Uh, they did, uh, just look insides of each episode and, uh, I'm not going to go through each ep- e- each of these one by one, but, uh, I'll let you guys just, uh, bring up any, any info that you found in any of those episodes that, that was really interesting to you. Um, for instance, in, in the first one, I found it was very interesting, uh, listening to Rafe discuss, uh, their decision to age up the actors. Mm-hmm. um which is something I addressed early in the season which was you know yeah it makes sense to age them up because nobody wants to see a bunch of kids just out of high school but you know give them a little a few more years on them and they they become interesting
4: you know yeah give them a little gravitas they've they've made you know they, they've they found their characters they yeah. know who they're going to be.
2: They have some weight to them, but they're still young enough where they can make fun, interesting decisions that are good for a story and also (laughs) for an audience to talk to and yell at.
4: A.K.A. (laughs) stupid young people. Stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Another thing I found interesting was uh, Rafe said that he had to fight to keep uh, the Weep for Minethryn song in, in the show. Um, apparently, some of the higher ups didn't think that spending a couple minutes uh, to tell a story while riding horses was a good good use of time. And, and Rafe, being the super fan he was, convinced them, no, if you leave out Weep from Panethrin, you might as well not make the show. <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. You no, will, I, you will definitely have fanboys kn- knocking down your door. Yeah,
2: yeah, there's like this conversation going on in you know fandom right now, or just where people are like, you know, where has, you know, the sex, where has the sex appeal in movies and TV shows gone? And one, like one random comment I saw, you know, in the interwebs said, you know, the problem that I have with this, we don't need sex scenes conversation is that sometimes, you know, Sex doesn't have to advance the plot. Not everything in a show, not everything in a movie has to advance the plot. Sometimes, you know, it's just for world building, it's just for character building, and that's just as important as, you know, hitting every beat so the story unfolds. And I think, you know, having the song of the Manetherin is like that where does it advance the plot? no not necessarily but you learn something about this world you learn something about the, these characters you learn something about where they come from you learn something about even how they grew up you know you learn yeah. you know about how there's this song where these kids who are from where that happened they know they've grown up with they can sing it you know on cue out of nowhere but they don't know where that comes from so that you have this tenuous link to their past, but they're also completely disconnected to. Um, and they need someone from a literal white tower to come down and to tell them about <laughs> it. Like in the most literal way this could happen. Yeah. And you know, the showrunners may say, Oh no, that's not important. And it reminds me about, back like, Oh, why do we need a sex scene? You know, that has nothing to do with the story except for when it does, you know? And yeah. I think like, right. It's kind of, it's a very much a throwback, you know, it's very old school in that sense where, yes, we want to keep this in, not just because as a super fan, I want it, but because, you know, it's important, you know, this is the first season We're you know, we're setting everything up. So we need to set that up too. And this is a brilliant way to do it.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, do anybody else have anything from those episodes that they wanted to bring up? uh, Siobhan, I, 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 get the feeling that, uh, the, the episode five, when we got the behind the scenes of loyal was very interesting to you.
5: Oh, I adore that, uh, actor.
0: It yeah. was the yeah. first time we
5: got to see the actor who plays loyal and he's just adorable.
0: Yes, <laughs> yeah. He is. He he is. Is. yeah. Hamed is just absolutely adorable. Um, great I, the, casting the first thing I saw him in as soon as they announced his casting I was like okay if this guy's playing loyal I need to go go check this guy out and the first thing I saw him in was uh he was he was playing in a, a Shakespeare in the park performance or something that they they put online and and it just blew me away awesome um I, I will have to find that and send it to you DW because I know that you would absolutely want to see that but yeah the 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 actors that they've gotten for the show just consistently blow me away I, I check them out before they the the show comes out in every time it's like okay yeah i can see where they're going with this yes please share
3: that with me yes
0: yeah.
5: so episode five was um the one where i was not in uh, the podcast recording yeah. and i just found it really interesting looking at the behind the scenes where they talked about the importance of having both a funeral at the beginning and at the end of the episode and the uh-huh. different ways they they treated those funerals like the different presentations and the different vocalizations they used it was just it it just made it feel really significant
0: yeah
4: yeah i i loved the touch with the uh the music uh, I, I'd really noticed you know, the, the Tuven throat singer during the, uh, during the, 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 final, uh, final scene with, uh, with the funeral there. And I didn't know or didn't notice, uh, until it was pointed out in there, the, the Nordic cattle call that was being used, you know, the loudest sound that a human can make mm-hmm. and only a woman can make it, um, I didn't, I didn't notice the, uh, the impact of that, but that that's, that's a really great, you know, trick that they had there, you know, sounds only a woman can make and sounds only a man can make.
0: Very cool. Yeah, very much so. Um, and then also along with uh, those episodes, we we also had just a whole lot of little trivia snippets that they they threw up throughout the the season. Um, I provided all of you with with uh, a list of all of that trivia to look through. Um, I'm not going to go through it all because honestly, most of it I already covered. Uh, most of it is stuff that I brought up to you guys as, as the season went on. And I felt that you needed that background. And apparently I was dead on with that because they were trying to provide that same background. Um, but there were a few pieces in there that, that I didn't necessarily provide. And I wanted to know if there's anything in there that you guys wanted to bring up.
4: I, f- I found them really helpful while I was watching the show. I would bring up all of the, all of the x-rays as soon as I watched the episode and then mm. go back and look at the specific points where they were they're making that comment. So I, I I really love that they have that. Yeah. That's something that Amazon does that is that's fantastic if you want to get deeper into things.
3: Yeah. Amazon um, does a couple of things beautiful in that. The the way the X-ray is done, I'll admit I actually avoided the X-ray during because I had that early feeling like I spoiled something for myself by hitting pause. But I do really love that they pull up the name of the actor and the name of the character every time yes. he posits in that scene. Yeah. Like some of the effects of, of watching something on Amazon video is beautiful. Um, and I will admit, I also haven't looked through the list because, again, I'm, I'm a little scared of getting too much information from some of it. Um,
5: yeah.
3: and, and that's just kind of where I've approached the show.
4: Yeah, that's why I only look at the X-ray after I've watched it initially.
5: Yeah, I do the same thing.
6: So actually, one of the things that I wanted to bring up from when it's talking about the uh, healing, Uh um, it says, some, I said, I can heal those who are near death while others can barely heal. And it has nothing to do with how the power is used, but to do with the aptitude of the channeler. So I was wondering, does that apply to other uses of magic?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, A- and- it, absolutely. That 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 that's applied across the board. People are have more talent or strength in in creating certain weaves than other weaves, um, in using certain certain types of weaves than others. It, it's it's you know it it's the things that you do you get better at. Right, and I, yeah. does that? I'm guessing that that certain aja's
6: tend to attract people with certain focuses more than others.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like like healers are obviously going to land in the yellow Aja because none of the other Aja's are gonna say, Oh yeah, spend all your time healing. So yeah.
6: Yeah. And is so and then in terms of uses of magic, like do we see magic like so we've seen combat, we've seen healing. Is there stealth magic or divination? Do we see I said,
0: I would to see uh, said, doing that
3: magic schools, yes. uh, yeah. represented it? Or um, is
4: it more of an avatar kind of thing.
0: Okay. So I would say that, uh, the fact that, that Robert Jordan's background was in physics means that he really thought through this magic system a lot and made sure that, you know, for every action, there's an equal and an opposite. And, and, you know, all of those basic laws of physics and, and kind of figured out that, you know, the the way that magic has always been done in the past like in tolkien it was you know gandalf suddenly throws his staff in the air and and says some words and then all this crazy stuff happens and and in jordan's world it's more you have to do do this and this and this in order to cause this to happen in order to get the effect that you want you know it, 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 there there really is a way that everything has to work
3: but in that same um, in vein, it seems like he also presented the ones that don't necessarily follow a physics uh, example. Um, they seem to be rare. For instance, prophecy is clearly not something you can tie to a physics equation, yeah.
0: and, and prophecy
3: and, and, is rare. Prophecy yeah. was that one. And, and person prophecy whose eyes
0: went white is in. is not actually related to the power. You know, for instance, Min has has a form of prophecy, but cannot channel.
1: Interesting. Mm. Okay.
0: so so, (sighs) you know, he he has given some of these little tricks to people, but they aren't related to the power and they they aren't something that anybody else can necessarily learn. They're just innate to those people. So so there is much
5: like Avatar.
0: Yeah. Yes.
3: I was going to say, actually, it reminds me a little bit of Pure Xanthony, Spell for Chameleon and and that kind of series, the Xanth series, uh, in that everybody either has magic or is magic. So there's either you have the ability to cast some spell in Xanth, Mm -hmm. you get one talent and it's either magician level or boring. So, for instance, somebody can change the color of one thing to purple or somebody can handle the whole spectrum of colors. And then there's also people who don't have a magical ability, but are magic. They themselves have some aspect to them that is magical, and that is their ability, essentially.
4: So, like, they're like a human on Gryal kind of
3: thing. Well, essentially, but more along the lines of, like, uh, well, this ends up getting broken spoilers for those who haven't read the Xanth series. Um, but uh, Centaurs. You
6: probably don't want to read cons- that these days. Yeah. It's really dated <laughs> in terms of sexism and stuff. I,
3: I enjoyed it. I know it probably haven't read it in a while, so it probably has a lot of problematic, but I think that's it, true of a good portion of uh, stories that were written back in the day. Yeah, very much so, yeah. So, I, um, try, but, trust
6: me, it's aged really badly. <laughs> <laughs> no. um,
3: but Centaurs were considered magic And don't uh, they didn't get a talent because they were magic and being half man, half horse. But like that's that's magic enough. Eventually, one person, one centaur did turn out to have magic. And it was kind of a change to the thing. It was a surprise to everybody.
4: Was it was human magic or horse magic?
3: Well, he just has a magical ability which was not true of most centaurs. The way, Xanth is a whole different podcast. I don't want it to like <laughs> to overly explain how Xanth worked for this podcast, but essentially if you didn't have a talent, you were kicked out of Xanth. Gotcha. You had so, to demonstrate a match talent.
0: So Samaria, you were saying how that's very similar to Avatar, um, which yeah. I had actually brought up you know, in one of our very first episodes that the magic system seems to have a lot in common with Avatar. Uh, Something I was actually thinking just these last couple days is Avatar came out after Robert Jordan started writing the series. So Avatar could have very well been informed by Wheel of Time if any of the people involved in Avatar were, were Wheel of Time fans. And then I realized Brandon Sanderson, when he finished the series, that was actually after Avatar came out. And Brandon Sanderson is the kind of person who would absolutely watch Avatar. So it's possible that Robert Jordan informed Avatar and then Avatar went and continued to inform Brandon Sanderson.
1: <laughs>
0: I, Which is I, I, very
2: I, on theme for both
0: For for both series, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and I have no proof of any of that, other than the fact (laughs) that I like to claim things are real. And in this case, I'm going to claim that one's absolutely real just because I want it to be, so. Headcanon. Yeah.
2: (laughs) But yeah, it did. Like, I think in Avatar, there's, like, off the top of my head, there's Aunt May, who's the seer, and then there's Yue, Mm -hmm. who's literally, you know, the moon. Yeah. Becomes the moon, it has moon spirit. The point is, you know, there are things in the Avatar world, human and not human, which are magic, even though, you know, it's very yeah. adamant in the very first episode, it's not magic. Um, and then there they're, are they're magical in a
0: way, but they're not bending, right? Just, yeah, yeah,
3: the spirit realm.
0: Um, and then there were, um, I, I actually told you guys not to worry about watching a, a couple of those those bonus things, but it uh, sounds like you watched them anyway. Uh, yeah. DW, I know that you at least have something from one of those. Uh, uh, go ahead and bring that up.
3: Well, actually, I got something out of both of them. Um, the one that's less interesting, I'll start with the less interesting one. It just inspired a question, because uh, they went further into the dragon, the the supposed dragon be- reborn who turned out to be the false dragon, Loghain. Right. Um, and one of the things I thought, do we ever find out more about what happened to Loghain? Because we, we, we've we been told about when somebody is uh, has the their connection to the source removed, a lot of the men have committed suicide. And I'm uh, curious if we're going to see anything more of Loghain or if Loghain's story has kind of been played out.
0: Um, oh, how to answer this? Loghain's God. story is not over. Got you. Got you. Not, okay. not by a long shot.
3: Uh, Because that was, that was the first thought I got from that is, is there seems to be more to that story. So, okay. Interesting.
0: Um, uh, um, Like I said, uh, I think last episode, if there's a major named character and they aren't dead, I would, if there's a character with a name who who you've seen and you have not seen them die, I would expect them to show up again. That is just the nature of Robert Jordan and the nature of Taviran.
3: I really now want to see a conversation between Rand and Loghain.
0: Ooh, Ooh, yeah.
3: I really want to see like, a, so you thought you were the dragon, did you? <laughs> <laughs> that would be- Have a heart to
2: heart, a man to exactly.
3: man. Exactly. But it also would be interesting to see since he had accrued a following, does he try to throw that following behind Rand now that Rand has been proven to be the dragon? Oh man, that, this opens a whole new- If there's
4: any more of the following well, Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah. yeah they're, they're, I, I don't Could've think everybody showed up to that. I think there are still people. That's my mm-hmm. just my mm-hmm. own. Um,
4: well,
5: we know that there's people who's who are very discontented with the Sedai. I mean, yes, Hogan right. himself says it only took me a year to come up with an army. This is true. This, I, is true. this
3: is true. Well, and any any war, if they're treating this like any war, not everybody stayed until death. There are gonna be people who ran away. There are gonna be people who you know, like, oh, we're losing. I'm getting out of here.
1: That would um, be me. So,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't worry, Loghain. <laughs> <Yeah>. Self
4: preservation <laughs> is a wonderful uh, A wonderful attribute. Yeah.
3: Um did anybody else get anything out of the Loghain episode? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, the thing I got from the Moraine one that was beautiful was we have talked throughout this series on the use of circles and the use of the yin-yang symbol. Uh, is there a name for that symbol within the Wheel Dragon of
0: Fang, I believe. Uh, it, it's it, it's just known as the symbol of the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai.
3: The ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai, the the then yeah, i yeah, refer yeah, to it yeah. that way. But those those two symbols get used a lot, and it allowed them to cut together for that Moraine. Uh, it, it's Moraine's quest yeah. and they were able to cut scenes that faded from one circle to another circle mm. or one ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai to another and the two that really struck out to me were um the dance at the at Beltane or whatever call it Beltane Beltane um i never kind of put together how close those two are yes
1: <laughs> but, uh <laughs> the the uh
3: the circle of the dance fades into the circle of graves after the battle with Loghain's army Right. And it was beautiful watching that yeah. transition. And then a moment later, they go from another one of the symbols of the Aes Sedai to the goats or or from the goats to another of all of the yeah. animals dead in that symbol to a more peaceful version of it. And the the ability to use like, hey, we've used this symbol 85 times. Let's just do a transition of all of those. Like,
0: yeah,
3: oh, what an opportunity that provided them. It was beautiful. Editors so- having fun.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing I was hoping that they were doing when I started noticing all of those uh, dragons' fangs and and Sedai logos showing up in every episode is I was hoping they were like hiding one in the background somewhere, everywhere, like the the bunny on the cover of Playboy somewhere, <laughs> kind of thing. And 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 it, it seems to have fallen off in the later episodes, but it, which made me sad because I was like, no, I want to find the, I, I want to find the thing in each episode.
3: You're well. Where's Waldo? Yeah,
2: you were the kid yeah. at the doctor's office doing the the highlights.
0: <laughs> that, that was me. That was absolutely me. Yes, the more absolutely. The
3: current one to give everybody a challenge uh, every Encanto poster has Bruno in it. Oh, really? Really? In the background. Every poster, he is somewhere in the background, We're hiding in a plant Bruno. or something like that. So, I, oh, sorry. I talked about Bruno. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: I, I feel like I'm the last person on the planet to have any idea what you're talking about on this one. But, I, I haven't uh, seen Encanto yeah.
5: yet either. So. Okay.
0: Fantastic.
4: It is. It's, it's, it's the music. It's the music
0: is you're ready so for the music good. to
3: be stuck in your head for a very long time, though.
4: Oh, yeah.
0: But but it's I, very I, I don't colorful know. It's, it's,
2: in a way that kids' movies aren't anymore, which I enjoy. Uh,
0: well, well, the music's going to have a hard time knocking the music from Wheel of Time out. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> hey, it, Lin, it, Lin-Manuel, Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's all I got to say. Uh, Yeah, but does Lin Manuel Miranda write in the old tongue?
4: No, he does not. No, unfortunately,
3: he did. (laughs) did, (laughs) did. (laughs) Amazon, pay attention, season two. (laughs) Lin Manuel, some access to the old English, old tongue, and man, you're you're going to have some amazing music.
0: Yeah. Um. And yeah, that surface pressure is a banger. I love that song. That just kind of covers everything that we were going to talk about today. Um, I think I'll go ahead, unless anybody had anything else to talk about, uh, we'll go ahead and move along. I oh, had oh, one... I, oh, it look, looks like several sorry, people have something to say. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Greg. Greg, go ahead. One thing I noticed, I was
4: looking through the uh, the photos of the, the concept art for each episode. Uh-huh. And there in the concept art for episode one is Egwene in the pool yeah. with the colors. The yeah. same shot that we were seeing in the previews, going, "Wow, where's that?" It uh, apparently that was designed to be uh, during her her uh, wisdom yeah. ceremony or um, her women's council ceremony in episode one.
0: So I can tell you that uh, the the original cut of the first episode was much longer than what we saw, and Amazon was very strict about wanting one hour episodes all the way through, including the first episode, even though Rafe wanted a longer first episode and so some scenes got cut out including that one
4: release
0: the um, rave cut yeah i, I i'm i'm kind of on the release the rave cut bandwagon myself i have actually seen what is purported to be the original shooting script um and I, so i can i know what some of those or i have an idea i think of what some of those scenes that they cut out are some of them yeah they they didn't need to be there um but but yeah i th- i think that that scene would have been cool to to leave in cool Um, and, and yes, that is possibly another future episode is the discussion of that, uh, that script. Once I can actually, uh, verify it, it's, it's, authenticity. authenticity. Yes. Thank you. Um, and yeah, so, uh, who else had something to say? Uh, Samaria, you had something you wanted to bring up.
2: I don't think I did. If if I did, uh, it was two minutes ago and that was a completely different brain.
1: Oh, gotcha! <laughs> no, it was
2: Shannon. Shannon
5: so started. So, I, I had something I wanted to talk about. One of the things I found really interesting about watching the the behind the scenes episodes is that in each one, we got a little um, snippet about how they did certain things. So, you see oh. the wire foo, you see mm-hmm. um, how they had uh, Nanave being dragged by her hair, the camera work, yeah. she's running away, and also that fight scene. Um,
0: yes. Oh, the blood the, snow. Um, yeah. Oh, the blood
5: snow. I warrior woman, uh, yeah. Rand's mother, with something I had never heard of before a bolt camera.
4: Yeah. A, a that was bolt. so cool.
5: Wasn't that amazing? A robotic
4: camera, a robotic camera with a phantom ultra high speed camera. That was so awesome. Oh, were And that, they were, and they were awesome. talking
5: about how the choreography has to be really precise because if you are in the wrong place at the wrong time, this freaking great robot smashes into you like that just blew me away.
4: Yeah. That was so awesome. That, that brought a whole new level of too cool to that scene.
3: There are so many like fight scenes now that using shaky cam is the best way to try and increase the tension rather Mm -hmm. than making the actual choreography up to scratch and like to find out that they not only wanted the choreography to be so on point point just for the scene. But then they wanted to get a camera that would make sure that the choreography had to be on. <laughs> yeah, right. We really want to everyone to know that the dragon came from a badass. Like, I love that. <laughs> we was, have the robot we,
4: camera that shoots thousands of frames per second. Yeah. Yes. Let's do but this. There's,
5: there's one scene where she's holding, you know, a weapon out in either hand and the camera just like comes shooting straight at her face and just stops. Right in front mm-hmm. of her face, like if you mess that up, that's gonna yeah. suck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, your yeah. if you flinch, yeah. your mark.
4: <laughs> <laughs> hit your marker. Your mark yeah. will be hit for you. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, one thing in in there that I really noticed uh, when they were talking about the stunt team uh, was they were talking about dragging away. Nynaeve and how they were going to drag her by the braid and showed how they they built a rig that would allow them to make it look like she's been dragged by the braid but not actually being dragged by the braid. And did you notice who was in that rig?
4: No. No. Didn't rec- was it the same actress that played the same stunt woman that played? Uh,
0: Rick? That was the same stunt woman that ended up playing Sha'il in in nice. the Blood Snow, Interesting. Uh, which tells me that she was just part of their stunt team and and ended up kind of getting booted up and and put into an actual role in the show. Which, which is you know, I think awesome they for her. So it could
1: be, yes, I they say, did some it area. Could be both
3: ways because yeah. there are people that get cast for a specific thing, and you if you got a stunt actress like that. Use her every chance you get until yes. the scene that you need her for. But it's interesting if she got promoted from just Sun team to that, yeah.
0: which, which I believe from from the information that I've heard is is actually what happened. Um, yeah, I, I, I won't Fantastic. say that for certain, but yeah, uh, go ahead, Axel.
6: Um, yeah, so Samaria and I think both caught that uh, in the the making of episode about that fight. They specifically say that she that they built that scene around the stunt woman that they had already hired. Ah.
2: Yeah. Actually, I got the impression that they kind of found her on the street and they were like, hey, you're a stunt woman. Come in. We need you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, she, I don't, she
4: seems like she was a local, you know. Yeah,
2: yeah they called She's, her a local, which is how I got that impression.
6: Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised if they hired pretty much every stunt, you know, Every stunt person in Czechoslovakia or in, in Czech Republic, rather, yeah. for right.
0: and, making and of the background movie, actors in the and A lot of them. Yeah. Well, well I, I would say huge... Prague at this point is becoming a major uh, film studio location, and yes. and a lot of actors and and stunt performers and things like that are moving to Prague for that very reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, Amazon itself has like three or four different f- projects that they're filming in Prague right now. We're shooting so. Lord of the Rings there now, right? Uh, I, I I don't know. I'm not following the Lord of the Rings info. Um, I know that they are shooting um, Carnival Row there. Um, right. and, and another series that they have coming up, I believe, is going to be shooting there as well. But yeah, the, the, Prague is is a major location for filming
3: these well, days. I'll also put forward, though, that if she was called a local and has gotten to the point where she she's got to have some sort of reputation of how good she is. To have been basically called in for this kind of something. Yeah. Like she's yeah. made a name for herself already.
4: Or she does now. Yeah. And, After and, that episode aired, I'm sure, every stunt coordinator was like, who the hell is that?
0: Yeah, I, I was feeling like, A, she just – her her, her uh, career is going to take off from this oh, yeah. if, it, if it hasn't Absolutely. already. And, and two – it's so rare that you get a stunt performer who can also emote to that level. Mm-hmm. And and the emotion that she was bringing in that scene was amazing and, and props to her, props to the director, props to everybody.
2: Yeah. That was some, I couldn't Buster breathe. And Charlie I, Chaplin, you know, and
4: stu- you know level yeah. acting. I thought able to yeah. do all the, I was all in the it. stunts and all the physical work, but still be able to emote just wordlessly.
0: Yeah. Samara, you had something?
2: Oh yeah. You know, just, I want to say Magda's her name, but I'm not completely sure. Um, You know, I was clutching my blanket, the couch, you know, gasping during (laughs) the entire scene. I, you know, the behind the scenes look was the first time I've ever been remotely interested in camera work. You know, I think you were right, if nothing else in, in the series was right, and but that remained the same it would have been utterly perfect because it was you yeah. know i'm not an action yes. you know scene kind of person at all I, I don't care it's not interesting to me for the most part even in books i tend to fast forward through them um but i couldn't and you know it was you know it was very bloody it was very raw but it also you know it, it had that emotional like just depth to it and perfect and best action scene i've ever seen which Mm-hmm. you know yeah might not say much but
0: no, i good. agree with you wholeheartedly dw you look like you have something to
3: say uh just i this is something i felt comfortable googling uh magdalena is her name uh it's it's uh oh, yes. magdalena sitova and uh her career goes back to 2015 uh at least the the Published uh, version of a career. She was in Underworld. She was in a lot of Britannia. The 12 Monkeys series she was part of. She's been doing stunts for a, a while now. Uh, Carnival Row, which you mentioned, is shooting yeah. there. She's in that. Um, she did some st- work on the recent Dune as well. So yeah. she's got a career. And, oh, I absolutely think it's going to take off even more from this. But yeah, she absolutely. is clearly a seasoned performer.
4: Yeah, she could yeah. make the jump into... Into acting, acting, sort of like yeah. uh, oh, who was it from Grindhouse? Uh, uh, one of one of one of Tarantino's favorite stunt women. Uh, he cast her in a speaking role, in one of the lead speaking roles in the uh, the the segment, the deathproof segment. Uh, I cannot remember her name, but she's shown up in several of his. You know, she, he yeah. he's worked with her as a stunt woman and as an actress.
0: Which you know, the, there's. A problem with being a stunt person, which is, yeah, you get to be on camera, but usually they don't ever see your face. Um, unless you're in some kind of action movie where you're you're just, you know, throwing kicks and punches at somebody, and then they do get to see your face until you get knocked out. Oh, yeah, um, I was going to say, if you're yeah.
3: minion number three, yeah, yeah. minion number three, you could be the stunt person. They don't, they're don't, not standing in for minion number three. Yeah, you just yeah, are right.
0: minion number three. It's
4: Zoe yeah. Bell is the actress's yeah. name. I just had to look that up. But, yeah... Um, I, I, sorry, I had the theme from uh, The Fall Guy go through my head and I'm not going to do that to alienate, <laughs> uh, to alienate Samaria anymore because it's <laughs> an old 80s TV show that no, you would not it's get. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about a stuntman who becomes a... Uh, Becomes a bail bondsman.
0: You know, so for 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 the ear. listeners at home who who don't know all of us, Samaria is is about half the age of everybody else on, yes. on the podcast. I'm the
1: baby guy. Yes. Yeah, yes.
0: Um, she's more mature than most of us in in many ways. Well, absolutely. Um, oh, I but she's that. she's still definitely the youngest one. So she she misses out on a lot of the the references that us old fogies make.
4: Yeah, that's kind of a running joke off air. <laughs> you know? yeah. how many of Greg's <laughs> references did you get?
0: None. Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with that we'll uh, move on. We we've pretty much covered all of that that fun X ray extra material that Amazon gave us. So thank you for that, Amazon. Um, oh, uh, Axel, you still yep. have some one more thing to say? Yeah. Yeah, much.
6: the one other one from that. Uh, that were the making of was when um, Zoe Robbins is chasing the cart.
4: Yes. Oh, yes. And, and outrunning the camera cart. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you uh, slow down a little bit. But please?
6: Yeah. Your epic impression of running like hell from the monsters. You're doing too
0: good a job of it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to actually get away from them that quickly.
2: Yes. (laughs) She understood the assignment.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, she showed uh, her
4: work. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, uh, moving on. we have no mailbag this week. Uh, unfortunately, nobody has sent in uh, more mail. Uh, so, uh, hey, get on that. Come on, listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, send send those uh, emails to uh, watchparty, watchpartywot, wat at gmail.com. Uh, just, uh, you know, if you have questions about the show, bring them up. If you want to say anything to any of the members of the, of the panel, go ahead and bring those up. If you want to give us your hate, uh, don't bother.
4: No hate, no spoilers.
0: Exactly. Um, and then moving on to some more news. Um, I, I I asked you guys if you wanted uh, things like casting news or things like that from behind the scenes because I keep an eye on all of that that stuff that's going on with, with the production still going on. Yeah. Um, a lot of you said uh, you don't really care since you don't know the characters. It really doesn't mean anything to you to hear about the cast. Um, but... That being said, I want to bring this up um, because um, – so there's there's my favorite character in the entire series. That character's name is Cad Swain. And I have a person I want to play, Cad Swain. And that is uh, Shore Agadashlu from uh, uh, The Expanse. She plays the, the UN Secretary General in The, mm-hmm. the Expanse. Um, I put this online uh, a couple of years ago and said, this is who needs to play cat's way and make it happen. Um, I don't know that I was the first person to come up with that idea and put it online, but I have not looked anywhere to see if anybody else has put that up. So I've, with that complete lack of actual looking into it, I'm going to say I was the first person to put that online. And, and so therefore <laughs> I, I originated this idea. Um, none of us but, are going to argue
3: with you, <laughs> but, uh, yeah.
0: Uh, so, uh, uh, Apparently, this is something that a lot of other fans are are definitely in on a lot that this has been going around the fandom for a little while. And uh, she is now in talks with Rafe. Uh, she Ooh. said, hey, uh, nice. a lot of your fans have come to me saying, I need to play this role. What's going on? And Rafe said, yeah, let, let's go talk. Nice. So uh, there is a good chance that she is going to be playing Ked Swain. We're, we're all crossing our fingers and hoping. And, and you can thank me for that. I have no actual <laughs> proof <laughs> yes. that I was the first one to come up with that. But I'm, I, I'm going to say that that was on me anyway. So you're welcome. Yes, yeah, good work
5: yeah. on your fantastic. Well, well She's an amazing actress.
0: Yeah, she is, and 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 that character, like I said, my absolute favorite character from the entire series. I know a lot of the book readers are going to react to that. Um, I'm expecting that, but she is absolutely my favorite character. So, yeah, look forward to to her showing up. We hope nothing's nothing's official yet, but it, uh, we know that they're talking. So. Just wanted to get that news out there, um, and I think with that we can call this episode a wrap. Uh, that was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, like always, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen out at the watch the watch party, Secret Island base. Thank you, Michael and Jen. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you. And of course, huge, huge thanks to Jordan Rennells. We love you, Jordan.
1: Thank you, thanks, Jordan. Jordan. You're, You're a real wizard.
3: One. You're a wizard, Jordan. <laughs> and now.
0: Final word from our panel. If you could interview anybody from the production cast or crew, who would you interview?
6: Yarrett Dor, the intimacy coordinator, because yeah. I don't know what an intimacy coordinator is. And it sounds fascinating.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the person
3: that, that is on set for any moment where there's supposed to be intimacy between two people who are not necessarily in a relationship and making sure that it is uh, approved by both sides. Everybody concerned is safe, And uh, that that the intimacy scene does not enter into any Me Too moments.
6: That's awesome. And in that that, case, yeah. That's something
4: that's
3: only come up over the past
4: few
6: years, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Greg, what's your answer?
4: I'd have to say uh, Andre Neskabel, I believe is, is his name. Sorry if I get that wrong, With the production designer. Yeah. He's one of the guys that oversees the look of the world and everything in it and i just i would just love to get into that guy's brain to see how he keeps all of this straight
0: (laughs) dw who are you thinking
3: I don't have a name for the person because I, I don't know what their title would be. Um, but the best example I can use is uh, I'm a big fan of the Walking Dead series and there is an actual school for the zombies that the the background and even named <laughs> characters that go through or named, named people that go through zombie moments have to take classes in how the zombies perform in that world. There is somebody that is directing exactly how all the Trollocs need to behave. Nice. I want to sit down with that person and talk about what they tell their performers so that the Trollocs have a themed feel to them. And I'm sure they're probably also involved in how the eyeless are performing and how all of yeah. the evil side of things. I want to talk to that coordinator, that director who's helping create the more creature aspects and, and making sure that, yes, you're walking in these stilts, but you need to look this way.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. Siobhan, what do you got?
5: So my answer is similar to DW's. Um, It's about the monsters, but very much more in the costuming and the design and the makeup. Um, There used to be a reality show on TV called Face Off, where they would go into technical makeup. Uh, I I adored that, and I watched every episode and got really into them showing how they created certain makeup effects and prosthetics and stuff. I would love to do more of a deep
0: dive into the monsters and how
5: they're designed. And the, the gears as well.
0: And Samaria.
2: Yes,
5: very basic,
2: but it would be Rosamund Pike, you know, she's been my celebrity crush, one of them since 2005, Pride and Prejudice. So it's been, <laughs> what, 17 years at this point where I'm just like, oh, Rosamund, you're amazing. Um, but also, like, she is incredibly smart. And I think that, like, her intelligence is a bit underrated. Um, and, you know, I admired the kind of actor she is where, you know, a lot of the new up and coming actors, the current generation of them are like too cool for school. You know, they don't really care about being trained professionally. They don't care about developing their craft, you know, acting as a means to an end it, instead of the end itself. Um, and it comes through in the interviews for Wheel of Time, you know, Rosamund really immersed herself. Like, I don't know whether or not she read the books, but she really cares about the characters and the world, you know, how she speaks about Moraine. She uses I as if she is Moraine instead of saying, well, my character Mm -hmm. instead. Right. And, you know, I just, I really like that in actors, um, which like I said, is pretty rare to find these days. And she just seems to like to be a really fun person to be around. Um, Doesn't take herself too seriously, it seems. And I just like to, you know, sit down and chat with her and, you know, get to know her, see how she came across um, this world in the first place and how she was brought on board and all that good stuff.
4: Yeah, she is an executive producer. She is. She's heavily, heavily involved. Yes. Fantastic. She's got she's got skin in the game. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: Um I usually don't answer these these end of episode questions, but I'm gonna answer this one. Um yeah. Who do I want to interview from the casting crew of of the show? Yes. The answer <laughs> is yes.
1: <laughs> Narrowed
3: down, fine point, yeah. yes.
1: Yes. <laughs>